So today's reading, uh, Nehemiah 8.10. He said to them, go and eat delicacies and drink sweet drinks and send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. In Psalms 126, 3-6, The Lord did indeed accomplish great things for us. We were happy. O Lord, restore our well-being, just as the streams in the arid south are replenished. Those who shed tears as they plant will shout for joy when they reap the harvest. The one who weeps as he walks along, carrying his bag of seed, will certainly come in with a shout of joy, carrying his sheaves of grain. This is God's word. Thank you. Good morning. I guess I need these. Mike, I do have my notes this morning. So, they made it. But I didn't find yours. Well, I am very happy. We're going to use that word a lot today. Very happy to be here this morning. I'm going to get rid of these. We're going to do that. This, all right. Uh, today we're going to be in our third week of Advent. I can't stand still. I'm sorry. I can't do that. I have to do this. Um, I, did, I did, however, want to address the elephant in the room. If you are worshiping at home, you can't see the elephant in the room. It's off frame. But uh, this morning, we uh, are meeting together here. Uh, and as a consequence, you are also meeting wherever you are, if you're watching this. Um, we got a lot of questions this past week on whether we were meeting. And that's a, it's a good question. And what we really realized was we wanted to be able to give a better answer than just why we're meeting this Sunday. We want to give an answer. When I say we, I mean the elders. We want to give an answer that is going to help everyone understand why we are making the decisions that we're making during the season. So... The only thing that's good half-baked is brownies. And so a statement like that, we wanted to make sure it has fully had time to um, make sure it was adequate to answer questions and would also give you an, an understanding of why we're doing the things we're doing. And so we want to give you a better answer. So we were hoping to be able to give that answer for you this morning. We're going to give it to you a little bit later on, uh, a little later on this week. So. But very soon, we want to be able to do that. So I did want to address that before we got started. Let's go ahead and pray. I would ask you to join me. Heavenly Father, God, we are, Lord, your people. And Lord, we love you. And we're thankful for you. We're thankful for your word this morning. We're thankful for the encouragement that your word is to us. We're thankful for your mighty works. We're thankful for your reputation, Lord, that we get to experience. Lord, this morning as we look into your word, I pray that you would encourage us, God, that you would enlighten us to your heart, Lord, and that you would remind us, Lord, of your power and of your grace. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, we're in our third week of Advent. And so we only got one left, just to let you know, just a little reminder. One week left before we celebrate the incarnation of our Lord. And today we're talking about joy. Um, 
Joy seems to be connected with the season. How many of you have something in your house that says joy on it right now? Look at that. How many of you had it in March out in your house? Maybe some of you didn't. If you did, extra point. I don't know where you use these extra points for, but good on you. Um, I do want to ask you a question, though. How many of you have seen the movie Pollyanna? Look at that. Put them up high. Come on. Yeah, okay. Not everybody. That's okay. So not everybody, but uh, Pollyanna was made back in the 60s, actually 1960, I think. Um, fun fact, it was partially filmed here, right in Santa Rosa. It was filmed around in the county. And if you go out to the McDonald Mansion, that is where they shot the exterior for the big old house that she lives in. Uh, so there you go. A little piece of, of Sonoma County um, lore, history. Um, you can go out there and there's a little plaque on there because from the movie and stuff like that. Um, if you don't know the story, though, so Pollyanna is about a girl. She's an orphan. Yeah, some spoilers if you haven't seen it, but I'm not going to spoil everything. She comes to this town to live with her aunt, and she has such a happy, glad spirit. She's known for coming into situations and just bringing this gladness with her, this happiness. Right? She goes to live with her aunt, who's very not that. Right? Crabby old lady living in a big house by herself. Right? She is characterized as the sweetest and happiest in her disposition. She's an optimist to the extreme, and she sees good and positive things in every situation and in every person that she meets. Because of this, there's a lot of people that look at her as like, ah, oh, this kid, right? Um, but for a lot of people, they look and they see it, and it's an encouraging movie. It's someone who has a very optimistic outset. Um, Walt Disney talked about this. It didn't do very well in the box office. Uh, definitely not as well as they thought. And when he was asked about it, he said, well, there were a lot of uh, women and children that went, but a lot of men wouldn't go to see it because it was just too sappy and sweet. That's kind of how he pictured it. And it kind of, I mean, it kind of is. It's this very optimistic thing. And so the question at the time would be, why? Why would there be this mm, hesitancy to go and to see it? And I think it is actually descriptive of what we think about this concept of joyfulness, gladness, happiness, is that it's seen as, as childish. She's a child. She doesn't, the reason she's happy is because she doesn't understand yet, right? That's kind, of, that's kind of the picture. She doesn't get it. She hasn't seen enough. And that's how a lot of people treat her in the movie. Well, you know, you don't know my situation. And she's able to change a lot of perspectives. But that's kind of the idea. Well, it's a childish thing. Well, she just doesn't know. She doesn't know how terrible the world is. Otherwise, she wouldn't be so happy, Right? It's not real life. As soon as you get a taste of real life, then you'll get it. And I think you could probably encapsulate it in one phrase, which is that ignorance is what? Bliss. Ignorance is bliss. And I think that's how our culture treats that. Well, if you're that happy, <laughs> you just don't know. You're ignorant. Bliss, if we had to define it, and I didn't have to, I looked in a dictionary. It's extreme happiness. Actually, one phrase that they use is extreme happiness, but they also say spiritual joy or ecstasy, this idea of just beyond anything else you can see, you have this joy. Now, 
That's so funny that we have that phrase. Ignorance is this extreme happiness because you don't know. What I hope to do this morning is I hope to really challenge that notion that the reason we have joy is actually the opposite. That it's because we do know. It's because we're not ignorant. And we have to have this kind of joy if you're really going to live out the Christian life that we're supposed to. And it's definitely something for us to look at if we're going to try to understand what Advent is. Joy is inextricably linked to Advent. All right, this is the interactive part. Kids, where are you kids? Put your hands up. Let me see. Let me see. If you didn't understand or hear me or if you're too busy doing something else. Kids. It's funny, the only kids who aren't paying attention are mine. Um, okay, you can put your hands down. Okay, I have a question. Question for you. What makes you happy? This is the only time that you can yell in church. What makes you happy? I got to hear you. Bikes? Okay, what else? Soccer? What else makes you happy? Pets? Oh, pets are a good one. What else? Video games. TV, okay. What else? A Christmas tree? That makes me happy too. What else? Your sister. Oh, that's sweet. We're going to end on that one. Okay, parents, adults, not kids. Let me ask you, what makes you happy? Or let me actually, let me nuance it. Adults always answer this different than kids. Because there's an expectation. So I'm going to change it. What makes you happy today? Or what made you happy in the past week? Free coffee. What else? Sleep. Yeah. Who got sleep? That ain't fair. Who else? Who else got one? Who else got one? Tacos. What else? Grandkids. For a short time. No, all the time. That's, yeah, okay. What else? Fellowship. We'll end on that one. That's a good one, Anna. Now, if I changed it a little bit, adults, kids, I guess you could answer, but adults, what makes you truly happy? Which is probably what you would have answered, feeling the expectation of me standing up front in church asking you what makes you happy. This is probably what you would have answered. What do you answer if I say what makes you truly happy? God, Jesus, okay. Got through the Sunday school answers. What else? On the board. Obviously on the board. Top, right? What else? The Bible. Nailed it. Took a kid. Nailed it. What else makes you truly happy? Family. Dogs. Okay. What, if, if you were to be asked, what makes you truly, truly happy? All of a sudden, the answers start to change. Why do they start to change? I know I asked you one that has a long answer to it. <laughs> here's, here's what starts to change. When we start talking about what makes us happy, and I love some of the answers that we got because it's true. Bikes, pets, tacos, coffee, free coffee even. These make us happy. But when I say what makes us truly happy, normally our answers start to change to something that's beyond the moment. Then it's family, the word of God, the Lord. What else makes us truly happy? We'd probably start to say, if we'd sat long enough, we'd start to say things like, 
security, right? Security in our, in what? In our, in our relationships, security in our, in our homes. We start to talk about things that are a little bit bigger, a little bit more. And so when we talk about this word happy or glad or joy, what's, what's interesting is in the scriptures, oftentimes the word that's used for joy really does kind of just mean happy. So it's not just the word, but what it is is the context of the word. It's the bigger, bigger thing that it's used for that changes, that's different. Many of the things that we would generally say make us happy are physical or temporal, and that's okay. That's great. A taco only lasts, depending on the size, three bites. Maybe four, if you got a good one, five or six. Right? It's, it doesn't last long, but it still makes us happy. But what makes us truly happy? What makes us enduringly happy? Joy is something deeper, much deeper than just happiness, more than a physical happiness. Let's look at Nehemiah chapter 8. Yes, we are going to get into the Bible today. Nehemiah chapter 8, little background, little context to this. This is written at a time where a people came out of exile. They've been gone from their home for over 70 years, a whole generation, possibly two. And they finally home, and there was, there, was, there was trouble. They needed to build a wall around the city for security. There were enemies there, there even people around them that would seek to actually destroy them. So they, they built this wall, built a wall around there, and then they finally got inside, and they were feeling good, feeling secure, and then guess what? Ezra comes and he reads God's word. It's sad because it says that they found it somewhere and they pull it out. He stands up like this and he reads the word and there are Levites throughout the crowds. Everybody was there who explain what's going on. And at that point, you get this right here. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10. And then he said to them, go your way. ESV is great. Eat the fat. I like the Net Bible, it says, eat delicacies, but this is good too. Eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not be grieved. Pause there for a second. Why would they be grieved? Man, because they just heard the heaviness of God's word. They just heard the heaviness of the law. It's a big responsibility. It's a lot of things that they're responsible for now. They said, no, 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 don't, don't be sad. Don't be depressed. Don't be Downtrodden, don't be grieved for the what? The joy of the Lord is our strength or is our stronghold. And he's talking to a people who are inside who just built a wall. They now feel secure. And he's saying, no, that's actually the Lord who is our joy. He is our stronghold. The joy of the Lord is our stronghold. This is a big deal. Something more there. That's more than a temporal feeling. Right? Joy is a good feeling. It's a happy feeling. It really is, but it's the happiness that's in our souls. It's in our immaterial being. It goes beyond what we physically experience to something more, something that transcends just the physical. Psalm 126. Let's look at Psalm 126. This is sort of our key passage here for our Advent series in general, something we're looking back to. Look at verse 3. It says, the Lord has done great things for us. We are glad or happy. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap shouts of 
Joy. Joy. Got it. Shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. So what is this saying? If we look, it's not saying it there. But in verse 3, we start to see, it says, the Lord has done great things. He's done great things for us. We're happy. We are glad. We're joyful. And then there's a request. Restore our fortunes, O Lord. Like streams in the Negev. And if you've ever seen pictures of the Negev, just, just imagine, you can just imagine Death Valley. And just imagine if there were just all of a sudden streams that went through there. What a blessing that would be all of a sudden in the most arid place that you can think of. These streams of blessing would be wonderful. They said, Lord, do that for us. Bring our fortunes. So what we see here is God has done mighty and incredible things. And he has promised to do mighty and incredible things. And they're asking for it. And they say, this is our joy. It's our joy. Joy is not just an aloof feeling in spite of hardship. Joy is happiness in our souls and it comes through an understanding and a realization and a remembrance of the true power of God. This is not a child's hobby. This is not child's ignorance. This is a remembrance of the true power of God. This is what brings true and lasting joy. We could actually just close, but we'll, we'll keep going. Philippians. Philippians chapter 1. <clears throat> There's some nuance. Nuance to this. Look at verse 18. What then, this is Paul writing to the Philippians, who are an oppressed group? They are in poverty. Just understand that. What then, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. There's that word. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now and always Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or death, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ for that is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. What is going on here? This takes that understanding of joy, that understanding that joy comes from true power of God and the promise of power in the future, the promise of grace, and it amplifies it because what Paul says here is he says, even if I die, he's rejoicing. He has joy. So this, that understanding where happiness is a little bit more of the physical than the temporal and joy is something that is beyond that, this puts that into a proper perspective. He is not where he wants to be. He is in prison, and he said, I could die. And if I die, it's better for me 
That is not the sound of happiness. That is the sound of joy. It's something that goes beyond the physical. This joy in the faith that Paul talks about is in the face of his mortality. He says, I could die. And yet he has joy. Real joy, if, you're a, if you take notes, if you write, you can write this one down. Real joy is applied understanding of the truthfulness of God's sovereign will and glory that produces a happy feeling in our immaterial self. Real, I'll say it again. Real joy is applied understanding of the truthfulness of God's sovereign will and glory that produces a happy feeling in our immaterial self. There are so many examples in scripture of people living this out. It is hard for us not to just go from, like a ping pong, go from person to person to just really understand what this is. So one more, James chapter one, verses two and four. James says, count it all joy. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet bikes and tacos and free coffee of all kinds. No, it doesn't say that. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. He says, in your trials. He's not saying in spite of trials. He's saying in your trials have this Joy, count it as joy. Why? Because there is something happening. Reactive happiness is when our circumstances or our experiences cause us to experience our emotional response to those good things, but that's a temporal feeling, right? That's a responsive, reactive happiness, and it's not bad, but it doesn't last. James instructs the followers of Jesus Christ here to consider Trials as a joy. Why? Because trials are actually going to produce something that is that intangible and incalculable worth of endurance and steadfastness, something that is not gathered in a temporal way. You can't get that from some momentary happiness. You just can't. It's something important, it's something lasting, and it's worth going through the trial so that even when the trial comes, you say, ah, I have joy. I know, I know I have, I have a joy in my soul, I have a happiness there because I know that this will yield a good thing that I could get no other way, but now I will have it. That is completely misunderstood by the world. No one is gonna understand that properly in our life. They'll have glimpses of it in their life, right? The athlete will say, oh, if I, if I train really hard and I, and I hurt and I'm sore some nights and all of a sudden I'll, I'll achieve something. But even that, does that last? It's not the same. It's a picture. It's a picture of what it is. Joy is unable to be swayed, tarnished, or finished off because it's rooted in the reality of the future fulfilled promises of grace and mercy that we have from a God who can back up those promises with power. That's why. 
couple more left. John chapter 15. Verses 5 through 12. Look at verse 5. This is Jesus talking. He is talking to his disciples for the last time. Last time he's teaching them. Verse 5 says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown in the fire and burned. If you abide in me, my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish. It'll be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove that you are my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you that you may, I'm sorry, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love one another. As I have loved you, greater love has no one than this. Someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant doesn't know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. I went a little beyond that. It's just hard to not continue on in Jesus' words. Um, he's on a roll. Um, that joy that we're told to have in verse 11, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. What is that based on? That's not a self-generated happiness out of your own circumstances. This joy is based on the power of a personal Savior who makes eternal promises and can back that up by having performed these things in the past. Without actual power, that, this kind of attitude, this kind of feeling, this kind of emotion in our soul could not be possible. Enduring joy would just be a temporal happiness if it could be generated in any other sort of way or if it was based on anything else. It'd be something beautiful that would fade like a flower that's cut from a, from a branch. It was beautiful at a time, but now it doesn't endure. It's gone. For the joy set before him, Jesus being our example... He endured the pain of the cross because he saw that there was something on the other side of that pain and suffering. And he did it to be our example. But even before the pain and the suffering, he gave up a lot. He gave up his position in heaven, in the eternal state, 
to experience limitation, to be born humbled as a, as a baby. And that's really what makes this season so amazing to really think through and to study through because what we see here, we're not celebrating that a baby came, yay, and then that's it. That baby came and it was the example that he led for us to endure hardship. Can you imagine being in heaven, being part of the eternal, to then be born as a baby? How frustrating would that be? You wouldn't even know you were frustrated until later. Right? And that's what is amazing about the season of Advent is that we get to see lived out in the person of Jesus Christ this principle of joy. Go to Luke 2. I couldn't help it. Luke 2. I know we're trying not to go there, but I did. Luke chapter 2. Look at verse 8. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, what? Don't be afraid. Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The joy of Christmas is rooted in the incarnation's promise to fulfill this hope that was prophesied to defeat death. And so the real joy that we see, that we experience, is the promise of this powerful Savior who's able to accomplish these things that were promised. He's able to do these things. He's able to preserve this promise. He's able to live it out. So then the question really comes, why does the angel tell them not to fear? Well, first of all, angels are terrifying. I don't know if you've picked that up. Angels are terrifying beings to be in the presence of. Uh, they're so much bigger. They're so much more powerful, right? But, but all these angels that come with a message, this is what they say first. Fear not. Don't fear. Don't fear me. Fear is an acknowledgement of power. Angels want to make sure that we're not acknowledging their power to a, the wrong point. Matthew writes in uh, his gospel, chapter 10, verse 28, that we are not to fear the one who can destroy the body, but instead fear the one who has the power to destroy the soul and the body and the judgment of hell. And we hear in Proverbs that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And it's right to recognize the power of God. And then in comparison, you can put everything else that you fear in its proper place. First we fear the Lord, and then everything else doesn't seem really that scary if we truly have that right perspective. So why shouldn't the, the, the shepherds fear? Because the angelic hosts bring a message of what? Great 
Joy. They bring a message of joy. Don't be afraid because there's joy here. There's joy coming. I've got a message of joy. And, it's, and you're going to need to share it with people. It's a happiness that transcended that momentary fear. It's like here is the message of joy. And what was that message? A savior is born. Okay. Sometimes we, we skim over it. We let uh, Linus tell us this story. And then we just kind of forget the power of it. Right? So... Think about that. Don't be afraid because here is a message of joy. What is that joy? That a savior is born. And it says he's Christ. The Lord, the Messiah, that's what Christ means, the anointed one. So all the promises that were given to the anointed one in the Old Testament now are all encapsulated in this. Right? He is the Messiah and he's the Lord on top of all of it. Savior. Messiah, Lord, this message of joy should overshadow whatever fear they're feeling there, whatever fear they're feeling in their temporal lives. I don't know what it was like to live as a shepherd at that time, living outside, but it couldn't have been all that great, right? As far as our standards, as far as we'd see like about well, temporary happiness, I don't know what those guys are really feeling in their temporary happiness all the time, every day, all, you know. But, hey, here's a message of joy. And you're going to need to share it with all people. It's for all people. Because this Savior, what are they saving him from? <laughs> from everything. This promised Savior was going to take care of. this, And it's the same thing that Nehemiah had talked about. Hey, so you've heard the, the law. And everybody was feeling kind of down, like, oh my goodness, this is heavy. And he says, no, 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 be happy. This should be Joy. This is the playing out of that promise. Hey, the Lord is going to provide a savior. He's a Messiah. He's going to save you from these things, this temporary thing that you have going on. And I, I challenge you, I put, put in the blank. He's our savior. He's ultimately our savior of our souls, our, our, our being for eternal life. But he's our savior for so much more. The Messiah of great power of salvation is finally here on earth to do his mighty works. So don't be afraid of angels. You don't need to do that. Be filled with the joy of the Savior's glory. That's the point. <clears throat> in, our, um, in our world today, we're served up on a platter so many reasons every day to be filled with weariness, be filled with fear. And when they run out of those things, they make up something else. You just talk about asteroids or aliens or something. All right? Fear and anxiety, this is a whole study in itself. Fear and anxiety is a meditation. It's a meditation on the calamity and chaos that could happen. That's what fear and anxiety are. They are the direct enemy of joy. Because what is joy? Joy is based on the true power of a God who promises good things for his people. Joy is the antidote to fear. Just like it was with those shepherds. Hey, don't, don't fear us. We got, this good, we got this good joyful message coming. Right? Church, brothers and sisters, whether you're here in person, you're at home, wherever you are, if you're listening to this later. We are not called to live 
with that spirit of fear, we are called to live with a spirit of joy. A joy that makes other people maybe a little bit uncomfortable and think that we're ignorant, like Pollyanna. But it's not true because it's based on something real. And it's based on something that's truly promised. We're called to meditate instead. Instead of meditating on fear and chaos and all this other stuff that can happen, anxiety, constant thinking about it, we are supposed to meditate on the power and the glory and the beauty of a battle-proven Savior King. That's what we are called to meditate upon. We are challenged to meditate on that whenever we see something in our face that would give us that temporal moment of fear, that joy can actually overcome it. True joy comes through this remembrance of true power. In a very real way, real joy, experienced in our immaterial parts, right, our souls, our heart, it can overcome the unhappiness, the pain, the suffering that we have in our physical parts. Even in trials or testing or persecution, we are able to experience pure, true joy because of the time-tested power of our risen Savior and the promises that he has given us to give us meaningful deliverance. Are you someone who would identify as being insulted or oppressed? We have the promise of freedom in the kingdom. This is a cause for joy. Are you lonely? Some of us are. Jesus has promised to never leave us or forsake us and be present in our darkest moments to be our light, our true companion, to the overlooked and to the forgotten. Are you sick? We have the promise of resurrection. We have the promise of true healing forevermore. Jesus has already won the ultimate battle. The ultimate battle over sin and evil and death. And we celebrate today and for the next couple weeks and beyond that, you can too, the incarnation the impossible promise that God would come in the flesh and on our behalf vanquish the serpent of old, that old deceiver and accuser. Jesus would come and humbly come as a lamb that first time, but he promises to return as a lion of Judah to judge the living and the dead. That's a future promise. <sighs> Refuge, are you, are you ready to remember have you made yourself ready this season to remember these things? Are you ready to live in that victory that we're promised? It's coming in the future. We might as well live like it's here. Based on those promises, are you ready to live? Are you ready to dwell on his majesty and his glory so that no matter what comes, no matter what gray clouds come around us or surround us, whatever physical threats there are, that we'd be unhindered and unshaken in our resolute faith in the joy of the Lord. Let your mind rest on his power so that you might experience in your very soul the joy of the Lord this Advent season. Heavenly Father, we, Lord, are a people most blessed we are a people blessed because we have knowledge, not ignorance. 
We have knowledge of a Savior King who has promised us resurrection, Lord. You have given us a spirit of joy, not one of fear and anxiety. And Lord, I pray that we would live in light of that. We'd live in light of the truth of a truly powerful risen Lord. Lord, I know that it's not always easy for us to concentrate on that thing. And I pray that we, instead of looking for happiness in you, would look at a true joy based on who you are. And if there is a day, a morning, a night where we cannot find it, where we cannot remember that joy, I pray that we would look to your word and we'd look to each other, God, that we would encourage each other with these words that our joy may be full. I pray you go out before us, Lord. Keep us, protect us, and remind us of your immense power. We pray these things in a powerful Savior's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.